This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Seminar called Cross and Society. Uh, this seminar and the seminar afterwards will be on competition. So if you are in the correct seminar, you are welcome to stay. If you are not in the right seminar, you cannot go. Amen? <laughs> the nature of the, uh, the GYC seminars is competitive in itself, yes? Uh, you have all these seminars you got to choose, and uh, it's very, very easy if ego gets in the way that you look at the seminar across the room and there's no space, and you look at your own seminar and there's only four people there with 171 seats open, it's easy for your ego to get bruised. And so we're going to look at this topic of competition. Uh, today we'll be on competition and cooperation. Tomorrow we'll be on sports and the latter rain. I'm not in the business of blasting uh, people if they want to play basketball. So if that's what you think the seminar is about, then I'm sorry you're going to be disappointed. I'm trying for us to uh, reassess our Christianity, especially when it comes to the cross. Amen? Uh, I think we in North America, and I think the majority of you are North American uh, by, by culture or by, um, by upbringing, uh, we have certain presuppositions that we automatically assume is part of Christianity. And so the cross is not only a salvational component, it's not just a spiritual experience, but it is one where our lives should be realigned to the cross. Amen? And that natural reaction should be uncomfortable. Amen? Good morning? Amen? Hello? Okay. Um, it's day two and a half for GYC, and I realize the, the, the endurance. Did you guys all stay up last night? Okay. My, my previous seminar was a lot more energetic than... than uh, let's have a word of prayer. Maybe that will help. <clears throat> Please bow your heads with me. Gracious Father, we thank you for this Friday. We thank you for the first Friday of this new year. We pray that on, on this day, help us to prepare for the Sabbath to come, not for the day in itself, but for what the day points to is your presence, Lord. So, Father, this morning we ask, as you have awakened us with new life and granted us the opportunity to come to GYC with all the finances and logistics, and Lord, help us while we sit in this cold, uh, sterile convention center room, and Lord, we go through another PowerPoint to transcend all these things, transcend even the, the bumblingness of the speaker, whatever we may personally be going through, and help us to understand what you would have us to do, to be, and to become. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The seminar track, Cross in Society, had three components. The first component was on technology with Pastor Jeff Harper for the first two seminars. The second two seminars were canceled. Unfortunately, Pastor Jeff Marshall could not be with us. The third part is about competition. When it comes to competition, there are two professions that take the cake when it comes to competing with amongst its peers. Anyone want to take a guess what those two professions may be? Professions. Oh, okay, sports profession. Okay, let's sports, obviously, but let's take sports out for the time being. Let's take a real job. 
<laughs> medicine. Okay, what else? Some of you are offended. How many of you are professional sports people here? Okay, so I don't know why you're offended. This is only like <laughs> 0.01 of the population who earn more than $5 billion, whatever, whatever. Um, so, okay, we say uh, doctors. How many of you are doctors in this room or plan to be in the medical profession? Okay, all the Asian people raise their hands. Very good. <laughs> uh, second profession. Anyone want to take a care? care take a, anyone want to guess what the second profession may be? Law, business. I heard patching. I've never heard of that profession before. Food. Okay, because people need to compete to eat food. Okay. Uh, anyone else? Science, politics, all competitive industries and professions. Uh, the second most competitive profession is ministry. So, a pastor named F.B. Meyer, maybe some of you are, who are in theological circles have read some of his books. He was pastoring a church, and um, he was having all these plans for evangelism and to reach out to the community. And all of a sudden, he had all these evangelistic campaigns ready to go, and people were not coming. And as he was interviewing his laity, his church members, they were saying, hey, there's another church down the street, and everyone's going down to that church. What can we do to have them not go to that church and come to this church? That second church was another guy, a pastor named Charles Spurgeon. Have you heard of this guy? And so, you know, uh, uh, I'm a pastor, and I would have to say it does irk your ego when your church is four members and your church down the street has 5,000 members. Uh, amongst pastors, it is often the case, and some of you may be thinking, oh, you pastors are evil people, but you also do it yourselves. Okay, hey, what church do you go to? da da da, da church. Oh, how many members does it have? And if you have 5,000 members, you say, oh, it's a 5,000-member church. And oh, it must be a big church. Or if you come from a little dinky little church in the middle of Nebraska, uh, we have two members in our church, and uh, one's dying, and I'm the other one. And you, you don't, you don't want to say that, so you, you feel ashamed. You say, oh, it's just a, it's a small little church plant, and you, you know, and you mumble yourself out of it. Uh, we also do it when we talk about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. What church are you from? The Roman Catholic Church. We are, you know, rah, we are the big one. What church are you from? <laughs> we do it. And so even with our religion, with our spirituality, we get into a competitive kind of mindset. Um, F.B. Meyer famously said in, in response to this, if, oh, I took the eye out, if this be happening, then God must be at what? And so this man was a humble man. He realized, hey, if, if all the people are going there, we need to help that because God is working over there. His ego was not at stake. Competition in society is found in churches, ministries, and denominations. And this is a little cartoon where it says, hey, we care about you. And then another church down the street says, yeah, but we got better music. How many of you, when you move into a new church, you do church shopping and you compare the churches in a particular area? You go to a church and you're like, yeah, I like the building here. Well, I like the pastor over here. Well, this has a children's program. Well, I like the potluck here. Well, I, don't, I like the color carpet over here. And you make the decision of choosing your choice in on a ridiculous merit. How many of you know where your church membership is? Raise your hand. Hands down. How many of you don't know what your, where your church membership is? Raise your hand. Okay, shame on you. Do you feel guilty? That's what I'm trying to make you feel. How many of you don't know what church membership is? How many of you just found out about church membership today? <laughs> Okay, praise the Lord. The basis by which you choose your church is not by the pastor or the elder or the leadership or the steeple size, amen, or whether they have a Christmas tree or not. The basis by which you choose your, your church 
is the means, not for you, but who you feel comfortable in bringing your evangelistic contacts to. And if you have no evangelistic contacts, if you have no outreach, if you're not doing evangelism, if you're not doing ministry, then what is going to be the basis by which you choose your church? It's going to be based on self, and you will, I promise you will, not have the fullest experience you could at church because of that. Because it is, in itself, a selfish exercise. But you go to the church that's nearest you or the church that we feel like, man, I have all these contacts at the hospital. I want to bring them to this church. Da, 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 da. Competition in society is also found in education, schools, and grading systems. Yes, I put a picture of some Asian kids. Asian kids are known. I'm, I am Asian. If you're Asian, you're offended, then, then tough, okay? <laughs> Asians are competitive. And it's not just an Asian thing. I, I pointed out because I'm Asian, but it is also an immigrant thing, yes? How many of you are from immigrant societies that were your parents the minute you were born you were given an LSAT or an MCAT preparation book. You're told to get into the higher levels of society and you will compete with the majority. You will succeed and we shall tell our mother country how much we have succeeded here in America. It's competitive. And if you're not from an immigrant society, you are from the majority society. The majority society in itself is also competitive of a different nature. Competition is also found in family. Today we have no time that even children are competing with among siblings for their parents' love. Yes? How many of you are known to be the favorite one of the family? Raise your hands. You have been lied to. <laughs> your parents, by genetic nature, love all their children the same. There are some children who they have a particular disposi this, this disposition that they're more familiar with, and they tell each children, you are the most favorite. I'm an only child, so I automatically am the most favorite of my parents. <laughs> There you go. Only children, we are gifted in that sense. But in this sense, in, in this society, we have no time so that children, as they're raising up, as they're growing up, and as they're being raised, they're, they're competing for their, their parents' affections. Competition is also found in the corporate world, marketplace, and for profit. We understand these things also in biology and evolutionary theory. Because of a scarcity of resources, two deer have to fight in order to get that one uh, female deer or that you know, berry on that tree or whatever it is. Okay. There are two levels of human competition. One is, found, is called intentional competition. This is found in your character, in your what, everyone? There are some people who are predisposed to be competitive. Do you all know that one person? That everything that they do, it is competitive. This is a flaw in their character. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. There's a second level of competition called structural competition. This is part of the system. For example, uh, whatever, whatever university has only spots uh, for the 2015-2016 school year for five more students, and there are 10 applicants, is it going to be competitive? Yes, it is. The system in itself is competitive. In intentional competition, these, we, in sociology, they call it commensuration. This is the concept of which you put numbers to everything. And a lot of you, you do this when you try to decipher God's will for your life. How many of you do this when you're like, hmm, who should I marry? What job should I take? What school should I go? And what you do is you take okay, you X school X, school Y, girl X, girl Y, guy X, whatever, whatever, whatever. And you put the traits now. Okay, well, girl, girl X has this, this, and, and she's like this, and, and, and oh, she's like this, 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 this. Wow, she's got 24 qualities. But girl Y, she's got this, 
Yeah, just that. Oh, that's one quality. So therefore, the mathematics says, because she's got 24 and she's got one, I'm going to choose girl X. Where in the world did you come up with the idea that these 24 qualities are equal in mathematical stature to this one quality here in the girl, girl Y? Does that make sense? We put quantification, we put numbers, we attribute qualities to like, oh, they're honest. That makes them 43.7. Oh, they got a little bit of integrity. That makes them 64.7. And she's got blonde hair. That makes her 29, for 29 more points, equating to a total of 1,430. But she goes to church on time every day. That's about two points. Hmm. Why do we put numbers to things? When someone is more... Uh, more kind than the other person. What does that mean? Why do we put mathematical equations to things that are just not quanti quantifiable? Constantly measuring him or himself against others, even in situations which don't call for it. Competitive people automatically, when they move into a situation, and they say that competitive people in, in their character are insecure. They're what, everyone? So they put mathematical equations to everything, and they want to put numbers to everything, and these numbers are pseudo-attributed to make themselves feel better. And then they, they're constantly comparing themselves to everyone around them. And psychologists call this what? Neurosis. It's a psychological disease. In structural competition, there are a couple, like for example, number of pageants, awards. Uh, there's only position for one. You buy, uh, maybe you've seen one of those, you know, Miss America, Miss USA, those Barbie competitions where they all, like, there's only position for one and the last two and they're holding hands with each other and they're staring each other into, into each other's eyes and, and the winner is Miss Arizona and the Miss New Jersey's like, oh, I'm so happy for you, but inside I want to kill you, okay? <laughs> you, you, it, that's, people are not watching to see the winner. They're watching to see the reaction of the loser and they're like, man, that's so fake and you see the Vaseline on their lips that's sparkling as they're smiling. Others are college admissions and obviously war. These are systemic problems that we have in competition. Vince Lombardi says winning isn't everything, isn't everything, it's the what? And I want to ask you, do you know that one competitive person that, that in, in, your, in, your, in your family, in your, in, your, in your Facebook friends that you have, or maybe if you don't know anyone, maybe you're that person. Are they pleasant to be around? These people, even when they're sitting down on the plane, they're competing with for armrest space for the person next to them. They're passive aggressive. As they're going to the airport, they're trying to be the first person to get to luggage claim. They were the first person to wait the time. They're first, 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 first. Some of you wanted to make sure you got a seat in this seminar, so you're rushing through, you're elbowing through people. You just heard a morning devotional this morning, nevertheless, and you're like, you know, I'm gonna follow Jesus. Get out of my way, and you're elbowing them in the face to get to this place. That is not at the cross, amen? There's a difference between achievement and competition. In North America, sociologists have said that Americans are under a delusion to think that these two things are the same. Achievement is based on, uh, is the successful acquisition of a goal. It is intrinsic, I meaning it's, it's in the inside. It's regardless of the external factors. It is intentional, it is trying to do well, it's mastering a skill. Either some people are independently achievers or they're collaborative achievers. It is qualitative and they're creating meaning and purpose for themselves. Meaning when they're playing the piano, they're not playing the piano to get number one for a competition. 
They're not playing the piano to look good in front of church members. It is not to get the largest amount of amens in church. They're playing the piano because they just like playing the piano. There's some intrinsic value. They just like the way that their fingers fly on the, on the ivory, ivory key. They just like the way that they can express them. They just like the piano for its sake rather than trying to beat brother and sister to get mom's love, rather than trying to be number one pianist in your, in your church. Competition prevents the success of an opponent. Does that make sense? It is saying, in order for me to succeed, I am not trying to get the goal. All I have to do is just to make sure you don't get there. You've all heard of that you know, African proverb, and I hate when they say Chinese proverb or African proverb. I don't think they really exist. They just put it there because they don't know who else to attribute to. But somewhere in Africa, this large continent of a billion countries, countries, some Africans said, hey, I don't have to outbeat the leopard or lion, I just have to outbeat you. Does this make sense? Under achievement, the guy would just, be, would just want to run fast for the sake of running fast. Amen? For competition, he just wants to stay alive, so he just pushes the guy down and has, has the lion eat him. Competition is extrinsic. It's based on external factors. It's not within character. It's based on other factors, other people outside of them. It is an exclusive goal attainment. It is trying to be number one by making other people number two. It is strategic. It is quantifying everything, and it is destroying the other. And I want to ask you, as Christians, just under these sterile sociological definitions, which paradigm do you think Christians should automatically fall under? Are Christians called to a higher standard, a higher level of excellence? Should we be good at all things that we do? Yes. So as Christians, and especially as Adventists, we fall under these two extremes. One, we got to be number one. we got to be the head and not the tail. Let's crush all the Catholics and the Presbyterians and all the atheists, and then let's pummel them into the ground, maybe be ashes, and we'll be number one. Or the other, other extreme is, we are Adventists, we are small. We are humble. Let us not try to do anything. We will never be good at anything. Let's just go on top of a, on top of a mountain, put on bed, bed sheets for our clothes, and wait for Jesus until he gets here. <laughs> we have these, ex, these extremes. And if you're laughing, you're probably one of those extremes. <laughs> Competition is, um, in, in Western, is, is integral to Western civilization. Many people have said this. Pastor Justin, are you, this, is, this, is, this is incredible. You, you can't tell us to not be competitive. It is part of our Western civilization. Well, within Western civilization, within competition, inherently is covetousness, inherently is envy, inherently is strife, inherently is war. The first competitor was who? Lucifer. He wanted to be number one by taking the number one down. Marcus Tullius Cicero said, a Roman guy that's, who looks like that, who do, do not hold the delusion that your advancement is accomplished by what? Crushing others. If you don't get anything out of this, this seminar, I, I hope, I, what I'm, I'm not trying to say, hey, when you go home, stop watch, watching Monday Night Football or Sunday night, whatever day it's on. Okay? That's not the point. When you come to the cross, you need to say, look, I'm no longer North American. I'm no longer Korean. I'm no longer, I'm no longer you know, a, a graduate of, of Harvard, a graduate of, of, of Phoenix a Community College. 
I'm no longer the firstborn. I'm no longer the lastborn. I'm no longer, you know, you, you get all these, you get beyond the regionalisms. And you say, Lord, at the cross, reconstruct my brain and my life. And even it mean, if it means going contrary to the values of the entire ecosystem around me, reconstruct me, Lord. And sometimes competition is so inherent in our society, we don't even see it. Four myths of competition that we often say is, number one, it's human nature. How are we going to get out of this? Number two, it's necessary for excellence. Number three, uh, pastor, it's fun. Number four, oh, it's part of character development. Now, some of you are laughing. Uh, after having presented this a couple of times and after talking with many people, young people, after seeing this presentation, often have no problem with, oh, really? Okay, Lord, help me out. But it's often their parents, and when it comes into the realms of education that say, my child needs competitive sports to be a good person. And I say, no, no, he doesn't. No, she doesn't. She needs the Lord Jesus Christ in her life to be a better person. And not just a better person, the best person possible. We're going to look at these four myths. Number one, competition is human nature. Social science debates whether human nature is either inherently good or inherently bad. Social science, really, what do I mean social science? It's sociology, psychology, anthropology. They don't know. We've been debating this for hundreds of years. Are you, is human nature inherently good, tabula rasa, or are we inherently evil, and we're just this, this, this uh, bent towards evil? I know when we as Christians don't go to that. We know what the answer to that is. Margaret Mead, in 1937, wrote a book called Cooperation and Competition Amongst Primitive Peoples. And she goes through all the cultures in the world, and she actually says, no, competition is not inherently part of culture. And she goes into all these cultures, for, uh, and she gives examples of the, some Native Americans in North America, the Japanese, some tribes in India, some the Ubuntu culture of, of Africa, some ancient uh, Germanic tribes. And they say, in their culture, they're not competitive. When they catch a deer and they're going to eat it, they, they, don't, they don't just, there's only space for one. They don't, they don't eat it all by themselves. They share it amongst the community, and it's a part of their culture. And her conclusion is, it is part of Western modern civilization, thanks to England, thanks to America, thanks to Western civilization, that it is number one is best, and it's all about you, and individuality taken to its maximum uh, 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 execution causes competition just inherently in our lifestyle. Scripture is clear that human nature is indeed sinful. Through Christ, our natures can be what? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the what, what? And so if you're part of the divine nature, the nature of God, is God competitive? Can you see him slam dunk a basketball in your face and say, booyah? <laughs> Take that, buddy. I mean, it's so ridiculous. It's, 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 it's funny. Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves amongst themselves are not what? 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 5, 6, you know this? Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunts not itself, is not puffed up. 
does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices in not iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Galatians 5.16. Let's go down there to verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. I looked, I didn't know what emulations was. I, may, I thought maybe this was like a Windows program. I don't know what it was. Um, it's, I looked up, it's ambitious rivalry, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. I didn't know what revelings was, so I looked it up in the dictionary. It's wild celebrations and such the like. And such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that, which, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the, spirit of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Skip down to verse 26. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. And if you take the realm of sports, and we're going to get into a lot tomorrow, can you imagine an individual who has the fruits of the Spirit then playing basketball? How would that look? They'd have the ball. I'm like, you know what? You have it. <laughs> no, 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 you have it. No, 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 you have it. No, no, you have it. No, no, well, let's give it to the other guy. Hey, hey we both give it to you. And... Number two, competition motivates towards excellence. Elliot Ar- Ar- Aronson Wrote the, uh, said the American mind in particular has been trained to equate success with victory, to equate doing well with beating someone. Education studies in 1948 were reproduced 25 years later, and the conclusions were the same results. All, in all subject areas, all age groups, competition was found to be less effective than cooperation. They found that competition destroys the love of learning, promotes higher what? is less productive and accurate due to speed, does not promote creativity, and distorts quality in the arts and journalism. And especially in the realm of the arts, when they, made, when they put a com- competitive uh, format amongst artists, a lot of them could not come up with anything. Journalists, under a competitive framework, they often created stories that were sensational, and they, and they, 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 uh, they stretched to the truth to make their stories more readable. Is that, is that what's happening in the news world today? Are there some news stations that distort truth so that, oh man, this is, this is more juicy. Oh man, Obama did what? And you, and you read this. Bush did what? And I don't want to get to politics, and that's not my point. Number three, competition is necessary for fun. G.K. Chesterton said, if a thing is worth doing at all, it is worth doing what? Badly, okay? Do you understand that quote? I didn't understand the first time. But if you like something, some, some, some attribute, you would, you, and, and, and if you're doing it not competitively, and you say, you know, I just love it, even if you were bad at doing it, you'd still love doing it. Does that make sense? If you like doing it only because you're number one, you don't like doing it for the sake of doing it, you just like being number one. Play is supposed to be pleasant, joyful, voluntary, and a release from seriousness. Because there are opponents in, in, in games and in play or in, in, in sports, there are rules. 
Sports uses intrinsic rewards, power, trophies, money, domination, bragging rights, retaliation, and the love of watching suffering. Play has none of these things. Play is just play for play's sake. We just gave birth to a, my wife just gave birth to a, a son, our son, <laughs> uh, last year. And when you watch him play, it's not competitive. His natural state is just to, here's a block and a block, and he just likes just for the sake of the block. He lives for the blocks. It's not getting more blocks or which block is bigger or if this block crushes this block. He just likes the blocks for the blocks. And all the blocks are cheap plastic made in China. I don't know why he likes them. It's intrinsic. The American way of life says sports prepares us for life. And again, it is, it is going to commensuration and statistic, statistically centered. It's getting to numbers, meaning, hey, son, you need to play, play baseball Hey, you need to get a .345 ERI with a .7947E31X59, and you need to get up here, and you're going to be the alpha level. And if you do this, you will have fun. And there are many children who have been damaged, not because of sports in themselves, amen, but because of the competitive parenting placed upon them. So reimagine this, okay? There are two, and again, there's nothing inherently bad about all games and all sports, but what we need to do as Christians, and specifically as Seventh-day Adventists, we need to reformulate creatively on how to have recreation and how to get principles of, of competition out and instill principles of cooperation. Number one, tug-of-war. Is tug-of-war competitive? According to the de- definitions placed, how, why is it competitive? The other team must lose for you to win. Yes? So if we were to have tug of war, and you see this when you, and I was, I was a, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a PE uh, teacher in, in an elementary school, in having a school, and, we, and then I didn't know better. We were like, hey, let's play tug of war. I don't know, what, just to get them to do something. And every single time, half the class is like, yeah, we won. We are awesome. We are boys. Ah. And the other side, oh, we don't want to play this game. Oh, we lost. Let's play again. You get the same reaction over and over again. If we were to reformulate tug-of-war, how would you reformulate it so that both teams win? And it's fun at the same time. What is the, what is the innate, intrinsic activity of tug-of-war? It's pulling... So how do you pull something together for fun? You just tug at something. <laughs> so just put the rope to a big, strong tree and have all the kids, hey, pull the tree down. Now, you may be thinking, well, what's the point in that? Well, exactly. What's the point of tug of war? <laughs> Does that make sense? If you see this activity in a different light, you're like, man, that is ridiculous, then you see it in its original light, well, that's ridiculous too. Yes or no? Now, yeah, I know it's funny, like, oh, tug, but can we use that tugging ability for something more proactive? Work, amen. 
hey guys, there's a, 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 a diseased tree over there, it's full of ants, and the neighbors want to get rid of it, but they're too poor, they can't call the, the sanitation society or whoever they are to, to bring it down. Hey, let's go over there, tie a rope around it, and you guys delight, <laughs> take delight, and they're just trying harder and harder. And what happens, when under principles of cooperation, the children start to work together. It's like, come on, try harder, guys. Come on, girls, you can play too. We need to get this tree down, car. Try harder, harder. Hey, I don't know who you are, but can you help us? We need to get this tree down. The tree is the enemy. Get it down, get it down. And when you get it down, you're doing high fives all around because we got the tree down. Awesome. Hey, what's your name? I don't know who you are. And you get to know each other. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not suggesting this in real life, but this is, I'm using this as an exercise. Does it make sense? Under tug of war, once one team wins and one other team loses, will the winning team want to get to know the other team? No. We killed you. I don't want to know you. <laughs> Number two, musical chairs. <laughs> this is a North American phenomenon, yes? Where you have a set number of chairs and a set number of people, which is one number higher than a set number of chairs. And some apostate music is being played in the background. <laughs> children circle around the chairs in a frivolous, vain way, and when the music ceases, the children elbow each other, punch each other in the face, bloody noses occur to sit in a seat. <laughs> True character development, yes? Under the principles of cooperation, how could we play, make musical chairs not competitive, but cooperative? And fun at the same time. The front row said, well, just leave the same number of chairs. So they're standing and sitting, standing and sitting, standing. You would make a bad PE teacher. There's a game called Musical Chair. Meaning, you have, you have a set number of chairs, okay? Five chairs, six kids. Music plays, and you change from apostate music to holy music, yes? <laughs> when the music stops, six kids try to sit in five chairs. Does that make sense? Six kids try to, try to squeeze in to five chairs. Round two, you take one chair out, but you leave the same six kids. Same round. So these six kids try to get in four chairs, and these kids are giggling themselves to death. And you, you, you pump it up. There's lava all around. There's an island, and the island is getting shorter and smaller and smaller. Now it's three chairs. Now it's two chairs. Now there's only one chair. All six kids, none of you, none of your feet or, or hands or body parts, you can't touch the floor. You got to all squeeze on that chair. The kids become creative, yes? And they get into it like, no, not the lava. No, Cindy, come here. Give me your hand. And so you have one kid balancing on one little arm piece. And obviously, it's a little bit dangerous, but it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. And, and, and the kids learn to work with each other. Does this make sense? I'm not promoting like we need to be Adventists. We need to have no fun. Let's grimace ourselves until Jesus comes. No. I'm not saying let's play musical chair until Jesus comes either, but I'm, I'm trying to get into this exercise. Another one, volleyball. What was that? I don't know. I don't know. Just respond to that. Volleyball or any, any of the, the paddle net sports, a variation called bump and scoot. 
meaning you, you hit it, you bump it, and you move on to the other side. And the objective is not to dominate the other side, is how long can you keep the ball in the air? Does this make sense? And so the, 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 both, both sides, they're not teams, both sides are trying to work cooperatively. And so, oh, man, we dropped it at 13. Hey, let's, try, let's, time, let's try 14, you guys. 14. Okay, maybe we can go to 55. Let's try 55. And let's do 1,200, you guys. And, and, you, and you get the point. Ping pong. You played around the world. You throw the cardiovascular component. You get more exercise in around the world than ping pong. Bible quizzes and Bible bees. How many of your pathfinders, don't raise your hands, I don't want to know. <laughs> this is found in, in our Seventh-day Adventist church. Inherent in the principles of a quiz or a bee. It says there is one first place, one second place, one third place. You all are losers. And then you choose the first place and behold the victor. All of you are are, 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 are these peasants compared to this team that has memorized scripture? We do this in our churches. The Michigan Conference took a l- another look at this Bible quiz, Bible B, and they created something called Bible Achievement. Whereas there is no longer one space for first place, or one space for second place, or one space for third place, it is a particular category standard. And every team competes not with the other team, but they compete with themselves. They're just trying to do the best for themselves. Does that make sense? So then they go through the quiz, and then everyone comes together, and they ask the questions. And they'll say, if you got 49 or 45 to 50 out of 50 questions correct, you are now first place. Those teams are Team X, Team Y, Team Z, Team A, Team B, and they all stand up. All 15 of your, your teams, you got first place. Congratulations. And they all give them... A, Good job, you guys, man. And, and they, all, they, all, they were all saying, these are, these are elementary school kids. They were saying, hey, guys, I just hope all of us get first place together. That's just really heartwarming to see. Okay, if you got 40 to 45, you're second place. If you got you know, 30 to 35 questions right, you're now in third place. And there's, multiple, there's not just one space. Everyone's working together for first place. Under comp- competition, there are opponents. It makes you, it trains us to see the other person as the enemy, the person to dominate. And the other thing is it creates spectators. It creates what, everyone? And to be number one and to dominate is one thing, but the spectator aspect is another component. I was having a, a Bible study with one person, and there was a group of us together, and we were getting into an argument. And the argument for myself and for the other person, was not competitive in nature. He was saying, you know, I don't understand this about the Sabbath. Okay, well, let's look at these texts about the Sabbath. And so, like, and that's why, according to Mark chapter 2, verse 27, 28, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And the guy was like, okay, he was about to say yes, but another guy, the third party, said, ooh, ah. And we both looked at him. He's like, oh, pastor, you just blew him out of the water. Me, blew him out of the water. That's awesome text. Even though party A, myself, and party B, the other person, were not in a competitive atmosphere, the fact that spectator C said, ooh, automatically threw us in the gladiator arena. Does that make sense? And that ooh, ah, caused the other person to say, well, you know, what, what, what about, what about? And he's, he wanted to get another Bible verse in there to get the same ooh. 
So everyone, and then what happens is everyone else, spectators D, E, F, and G, are going back and forth like a ping pong table spectator group. This makes sense. Under a cooperative format, everyone is working together. Everyone is looking out for the benefit of the other. And in North America, it is very difficult because it's part of our culture not to live this way when it comes to parenting, when it comes to making money, when it comes to even going to church. Myth number four, excellence builds what? Character building is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings and never before was its diligent study so important as now. Never before were, were young men and young women confronted by peril so great as confront them today. God's plan of life has a place for every human being. Each is to improve his talents to the uttermost. And faithfulness in doing this, be it the few, gifts few or many, entitles one to honor. In God's plan, there is no place for what? Now, if sports or if competition is so necessary for character development, do you not think that Ellen White would have talked about competition somewhere into, into our educational system. True education means that in the whole being, the body, the mind, as well as the soul, the image of God is to be restored. Education is the harmonious development of the physical, mental, and spiritual powers. Now get this. Are you still with me? Now while our high, uh, great high priest is making the atonement for us, we should seek to become perfect in Jesus Christ. Not even by a thought could our Savior be brought to yield to the power of temptation. Satan finds in human hearts some point where he might gain a foothold. Some sinful desire is cherished by means of which his temptations assert their power. Christ himself declared, The prince of this world cometh and has nothing in me. Satan could, not find, could find nothing in the Son of God that would enable him to gain the victory had he kept his father's commandments and there was no sin in him that Satan could use to his advantage. This is the condition in which those must be found who shall stand in the time of where? It's from Vera Ellison. The prevailing mode of competition in American culture thus continues despite convincing evidence that is damaging to physical, spiritual, emotional, and social health. What is the reaction of our members of helping professions? That's doctors, pastors, psychologists, whatever. Are we creative agents of social change? Or are we dispensers of band-aids to the injured and facilitators of adjustment to the way things are? What I'm making a call for is every person, every brother and sister in this room, whether you're young or whether you're super old, go back home and start thinking ways, creative, proactive ways. Adventists are very good in being not proactive. Is that bad? Okay, we're not going to do that anymore, and we're going to do nothing. We need to be now, okay, let's not do the bad thing, but let's be proactive on how to push good things forward as well. Ellen White, it is Satan's work to excite pride, ambition, selfishness, and the love for supremacy. Says John, John Wooden, sports do not build character, they what? They reveal character. And humbly speaking and regretfully speaking, I, I went to the seminary, the uh, Seventh-day Adventist Seminary in Berrien Springs. The most competitive students on campus were from the seminary. You had students from the anthropology department, psychology, and in business and biology and in the seminary. And what happened is these, these pastors, and they're studying to be pastors, ministry is a competitive uh, uh, pro uh, uh, profession just as doctors, but when they lost, they lost it. And so, hey, man, sports do not build character. They what? 
that reveal your character. Robert Corman, in 1791, he was writing to George Washington about creating a new American educational system. But he makes this observation, he, he tells a story. At every quarterly examination, a gold medal, one gold medal, was given to the best writer. When the first medal was offered, it produced rather a general contention than an emulation and diffusion of spirit of envy, jealous and, well, that's jealousy, jealous and, jealousy and discord through the whole school. Boys who were bosom friends before became fierce, contentious rivals. And when the prize was adjudged, became implacable enemies. Those who were advanced decried the weaker performances. Each wished his opponent's abilities less their own, and they used all their little arts to misrepresent and abuse each other's performances. Not as only becoming number one, but it's, deep, it's, it's criticizing the number two and number three. Just as I was walking here at GYC, I saw two ladies, and they're going through the program booklet, and they're critiquing each of the seminar speakers. Oh, you know what? I like him, but you know what? Sometimes he uses a little bit too much of this and this. Well, I like him. Oh, you know what? Don't go to him because he's got this. Let's go to him because he's the best of them all. Why? Because da 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 da. And the qualities that we're looking for, and I would say this God speaks through any person, and he talks through any animal also. Amen? Even boring pastors. Amen? Like the one that you're talking, <laughs> hearing right now. Uh, God uses anyone, and we shouldn't compare people. And anyway, let's go to habits of the heart. The world of individualistic competition is experienced every day. The world of harmonious unanimity, some word, is fully realized only in sporadic flashes of togetherness, glimpses of what might be if only people would cooperate and their purposes reinforce rather than undercut one another. This is a famous sociologist, Robert Bella. Which works better, competition or cooperation? The answer, without equivocation, is cooperation. Although most people are surprised by this, scientists have repeatedly verified it into hundreds of studies since the late 1800s. Yet big business, the educational system, healthcare community, and most parents continue to encourage competition, almost totally neglecting the power of cooperation. None of these groups realizes that unabated competition may be costing billions of dollars in sales and overall decreases in human achievement. Furthermore, researchers have shown that it, too much competition may cause what? Poor health. Yet we continue to hold the cherished belief that competition, not cooperation, to paraphrase Sigmund Freud, is the royal road to success. In fact, competition brings out the beast in us. Then research demonstrates that cooperation surely brings out the best in us. This finding has been held in virtually every occupation, skill, or behavior tested. For instance, scientists who consider themselves cooperative tend to have more published articles than competitive colleagues. Cooperative business people have higher salaries. Elementary grades to, to college, cooperative students have higher grade point averages. Personal directors who work together have fewer job vacancies to fill. How many of you want to be healthier here? How many of you want to have more money? How many of you want to have more happier homes? Let's not be competitive. Let's get into modes of cooperation. Not surprisingly, cooperation increases creativity. Unfortunately, most people are not taught cooperative skills. Here are some principles I want to go through. Number one, focus on doing what? Look at the activity. A lot of your students in college, you're not doing well in college. You're spending $45,000 a year to get a piece of paper. You're cramming before the night of exams, and you forget it all the day after. When you're learning, how many of you are pre-med? Don't raise your hands. 
and you're learning biology, orgo, and chemistry because you love biology, orgo, and chemistry? Or are you studying it to get number one into Loma Linda or Harvard Medical School? Are you trying to dominate the others? Do you sabotage each other's research projects? Focus on doing well for the sake of doing well. Number two, what is essential for cooperation is allow ample what? Cooperation, uh, under competition, you are under time restraints. You need to be the fastest, and you need to do it in the, within this time frame. Under cooperation, you get no time limit. The perception of available time facilitates cooperation. Number three, use similar language. Number four, share leadership. And I can provide these uh, PowerPoints up online. Number five, learn cooperative, uh, cooperative problem-solving tools. Brainstorming, suspending of judgment, clarification of goals, objectives before seeking cooperation, and evaluation of other plans in a non-threatening manner. How many of you would love to have cooperation in your local church boards? Hey, let's do that. That's a dumb idea. Well, God bless you, brother. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Number six, practice reciprocity. People, and what this means is if you help someone, it inspires the third party who sees this. You're actually impacting the spectators. The spectators start getting into cooperation as well. Number seven, share. When people are vying for knowledge, workspace, personnel, anything to help them get the job done, cooperation Cooperation decreases? Increases. Maybe it's either competition decreases or cooperation increases. Forgive that typo. Number eight, reinforce team efforts. Working with teamwork obviously is cooperatively. Number nine, act cooperatively. Okay, in your, in your, even when you're by yourself, act cooperatively. When you're in your local church, think of how can I help this church rather than what can I get out of this church? Does this make sense? When you're in a boring sermon and you're thinking, man, I'm getting nothing out of this sermon, then say, what can I put into this sermon? How can I help this situation rather than get stuff out of it? Number 10, for your health's sake, experience cooperation. Make it a point to notice how much better you feel when you cooperate with others. As the researchers suggest, once you experience the positive feelings, there seems to be no way out, no way, other way to work except cooperatively. Cooperation, you have higher levels of self-sufficiency, achievement. Better cooperation during free time results in... Um, uh, Better cooperation during free time while competitive games result in increased aggression during unstructured free time. Okay. Number, and the third, increases intrinsic motivation, motivation, more rapid problem solving, positive interaction, higher confidence, basically all good stuff. Yes? Do you all want all good stuff? Okay, good. That's the point of that slide. <laughs> in conclusion, all this stuff is found in the Bible. Amen. All that sociology mumbo-jumbo to basically say, go read your Bibles and do what the Bible says. Amen? Amen. How many of you want to come to Jesus and be part of a cooperative society? We call that the church. Acts 4, they they shared everything. Hebrews 10, verse 24, uh, provoke unto love and good works. Hebrews 12, 14, get this, read Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man can see the Lord. Or no woman, anyone. Here you have a cartoon. Competition. Two donkeys. One donkey's trying to get to the other, and they're fighting, 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 and they can't get, they both lose out. Then they look at each other quizzically, and they realize, hey, let's just work together. Now they, get, they eat what? Both piles of hay together. How many of you want to benefit 
by helping others and then you benefit yourself. Amen? Tomorrow, we're going to talk about sports and the latter rain. Something happened in Battle Creek in 1893 that has repercussions, especially for Adventists. I'm not talking about sports for sports' sake. I'm talking about let's get ready for Jesus' second coming. You don't want to miss it for tomorrow afternoon on Sabbath. Stand with me. I'll have a benediction with all of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I asked previously to transcend this PowerPoint presentation into something that's, that's valuable. Lord, a lot of this are, geez, are, are just quotes from, from sociologists and scientists and whatnot. And they all, what they do is they corroborate. They give a humanistic uh, assent to what Scripture and the Spirit of Prophecy has already said. Lord, if there be any person in this room that's including myself, and it may be not these outward, outright actions that we do competitively, but if there are things within our presuppositions, within our hearts, within the, the unconscious and the subconscious and all these other psychological terms, if there are things that are in us that are innately competitive, Lord, remove that from our hearts. Help us to be cooperative. Help us to be like Jesus, Lord. Help us to give. Give to others. Give to others until, un, until we die to save others. This is impossible from our culture. This is impossible from our education. This is impossible from our own strength and effort. It is only done by your grace and your power to change our human nature into your divine nature. This is our humble prayer for every brother and sister in this room and for those hearing. I pray in Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. God bless you all. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.